Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. It may be the nighttime, but the sports talk doesn't stop. Sports talk radio that's live, local, and not for the faint of heart. Oh, you didn't know? Sometimes angry. Loud noises! Telling it like it is. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. And pretty much always right. Don't ever argue with the big dog. Big dog is always right. Text or call 404-741-0929 and be part of the show. Well, we're waiting. From the Kia Studios, it's time for the John Chuckery Show. Serving you up sports on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome into Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Yes, it is time for the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out with you in the Kia Studios on this Thursday evening. With you for the full four. We ask you to download the Odyssey app. You're not in the car as much. You want to listen in. Put the Odyssey app on one of your devices today. Take the smartphone, take the Alexa speakers, take your tablet, take your answering machine, your clock radio, your Walkman, whatever your device is, just download it on something to be able to catch us when you are on the go. Social media is at 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, the best way to be a part of the show, follow us on our personal Twitter pages. At JMCH316 is your water cooler talking points. Three to six months in advance of anybody else. That is out there producing the show on the other side of the glass. Day Day is in the house at D.D. Lewis for real. Well, um, it's been a good couple of days for the Atlanta Braves, right? I mean, you know, they're looking to sweep the Mets. You know, we are got Spencer Strider and Justin Verlander on the hill tonight. So without further ado, Day Day. Let's go ahead and, and sing our Sweep the Mets song. Let, let's, 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 let's go ahead and do it. Okay, ready to go? F the Mets. F the Mets. Step right up and F the Mets. Bring your kitties. Bring your wife. They're going to suck for the rest of One more life. time. F the Mets. F the Mets. Step right up and F the Mets. Bring your kitties, bring your wife. They're going to suck for the rest of your life. All right. Now that we got that out of our system. Th- th- hey, did I ever tell you that I hate the Mets? Why, yes. Why, oh. yes, you have, John Chuckery. Oh, okay. I thought that maybe slipped my mind. I, <laughs> I thought maybe that uh, that slipped my mind a little bit here. So, anyway, um, I hate them. Um, and I like some of their players individually, but I, I hate I hate their whole organization. So I, I just I loathe them. So um not as much as I loathe the Red Sox. Red Red Sox, you know, are just they're a bunch of hags, but anyway. That's the one that I can't stand. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate the Reds. I, I 
I, I wish bad things on the Red Sox, but anyway. Um, but uh, Braves and Mets uh, tonight. So, look, uh, Spencer Strider, 6-2 and two with a 297 ERA. So you've got maybe the best young pitcher in baseball versus a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Verlander's had his struggles this year, 2-3 and three with a 4-and-a-quarter ERA. You know, Max Scherzer has not pitched well lately, you know, in the last handful of games against the Atlanta Braves. So uh, you got through, you know, Max Scherzer last night and came back again, another 4-1 to one comeback and a victory. Uh, Michael Harris certainly sparking this team. I mean, we, we talked with Carl about that. You know, look, he's been doing some other things and, and playing really good defense. The batting average is just what's not, you know, come up enough, right? You know, he's been walking more in his plate appearances, striking out less in his plate appearances, and stealing bases and being a plus war defender, right? So, again, when we talk about this, when the bottom of the order gets it cranked up, I don't know how you beat the Braves. I, I, don't, I don't know how you, you tangle with the Braves when the bottom of their order is getting it clicking. When Michael Harris or Marcelo Zuna or whoever. So, looking for the sweep tonight. Here's your lineup. Ronnie Olson, Riley Darno in the cleanup spot. He's going to catch tonight. Eddie Rosario, Ozzy Albies. Uh, then Ozuna, Arcia, Michael Harris round out the bottom of the order with Spencer Strider on the mound uh, for the Braves. And again, six wins thus far for him. Um, you know, look, he's been outstanding, right? And, you know, we'll talk more about Charlie Morton here coming up um, uh, at the 9 o'clock hour because, uh, look, I, I mean, you're down to your final three pitchers as of right now, right? It's bullpen games. It's a rotation of rookies and different people like that. So you got to have good innings, you know, and good quality starts from the guys that you're counting on, you know, to be rocks in this rotation. Strider, of course, leads the majors in uh, strikeouts, 113 strikeouts in 69 and two-thirds innings. So the 13.8 strikeouts per nine that he had last year, phenomenal number. He said, eh, I can do better than that. 14.6 strikeouts per game or per nine innings. Now, here's the other thing, too, and we've talked about this multiples of times. You know what else he leads the league in? Fewest hits per nine innings. So 5.7 hits per nine innings. That also leads baseball. So if you don't walk, guys, so he's got a 4.35 strikeout-to-walk ratio, 113 strikeouts, only 26 walks in 169 – or, sorry, in 69 uh, – 26 walks in 69 and two-thirds innings. So that's about the pace that he had last year, 131 innings, 45 walks, maybe a little bit higher on that pace, but still – um, only 26 walks and the lowest hits per nine. You can't hit what you can't see and can't reach, right? And he's whiffing people left and right. And when you don't put base runners on, you know, like Charlie Morton, too many walks last night. Then he gives up the home run balls. Strider's only given up seven homers on the year in 69 and uh, two-thirds innings. So that is the same number of homers that he gave up in 131 and two-thirds innings last year, but still that has not been a big bugaboo for him. So uh, making his 13th start tonight, and look, the Braves look to sweep. And as of right now, when we look at this, 
They are three games ahead of the Marlins, but they're seven and a half ahead of the Mets. No, sorry. They're seven and a half against ahead of the New York Mutts. Eight games up on the Philadelphia Phillies. And guess what? You get through this series, you got Washington for three, you got Detroit for three, you go up to Detroit, they stink, Washington's the last place team, Colorado coming up, they're in last place. In fact, do they have the fewest wins um, outside of Oakland? Um, no, I guess the um, I guess the Nationals only have 25 wins. So the Nationals, well, nope, sorry. Kansas City's only got 18 wins as well. So, again, playing some bottom feeders. So don't look now, but we could realistically be headed toward July and the Braves have a double-digit lead in the division over three teams, which would include the Mutts, the full full Bowful Fullers, and the Washington Nationals. They're already 12 up on Washington. That number's going to get even ballooned higher after they get done with them. So, again, we've talked about the idea of I, they, they, they can't wrap up the division, but, boy, if the Mets and Phillies can't do something here soon against Atlanta – Ain't no way that Atlanta's going to go on some kind of, you know, just crumbling pace of, you know, losing games. They're not going to have a 5-20 and 20 stretch. They're too good, too deep of a lineup to do all of that. And, and just enough starting pitching that they can get through and obviously a good bullpen um, as well. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. But hopefully they sweep and this would be uh, great news and uh, go up eight and a half games on the uh, New York Mutts. Um, Atlanta United, listen, uh, we talked about getting a point out in L.A. Listen, it was, uh, you know, a 0-0 game, but found a way to get a point out in LAFC, right? So that's all you wanted. I, in all honesty, I'll take the point at this point, you know, on the road, going all the way to the West Coast, and they've got a couple of those trips. I think they've, I think they've got a trip to, like, what, Vancouver or something like that. So um, I think maybe Salt Lake City or somewhere like that, some of those – Couple of those West Coast teams. So you get a point, you get out of there, you get back home. Now Atlanta United is going to take on DC United. I'll be at that game. So coming up on Saturday, seven o'clock uh, pregame, seven thirty kick. We will talk to Jason Longshore coming up here at eight twenty, as uh, he will be on the call with uh, Mike uh, Mike Connie, and uh, they'll have the action on Saturday night uh, for you. Uh, Steve Weish also set to join us uh, as well. Coming up in the next segment, we'll talk some Falcons football with him and um, obviously former beat writer for the Atlanta Falcons, now with the NFL Network. So we'll have a chance to catch up with him for a few minutes. Um, Nuggets get it done last night. Um, here's the thing. This is, this is a very simple formula, okay? You don't have to think any deeper or harder about this, okay? If Joker and Murray are going to go for 66 points, 20 assists, and 31 rebounds, Miami ain't going to win another game in this series. 66, 20, 20, or 31. I mean, Joker's the most unguardable guy in the NBA right now. He really is. And I'm I'm torn because I think Giannis is the best two-way player in the NBA. But, boy, I mean, Joker is making a case as he's just the best overall player in the NBA, right? His numbers are just ridiculous, 
ridiculous. 32 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. And it just feels like he does whatever he wants to do. I, I said after, I can't remember which game, but I tweeted about a week ago saying that, and I know the whole, we talk about the Denver thing, them being on the West and coming on late, but he's not in, like, yes, he's in the MVP talks all the time, but he's not in the conversations of best player in basketball right now. Well, talks. Uh, and I think he, I definitely think he should be. I, I, I think, I think everybody looks at him as a top five player, though. I do think that. I mean, I, I I think that when you talk about best players in the game, Joker's been talked about in that, but I think he's taken a backseat in some ways to Embiid and Giannis. I'm not saying that's fair or right, right no, or whatever. No, yeah, like no, that. I totally agree. But, yeah, but, but he I think should be I think he should be more at the forefront yeah, of Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I don't know that Joker or Giannis, I mean, I I mean, I think that's the two best players in the NBA. Yeah. I really do. I mean, I think that's the two best players in the in the entirety of the NBA sport. I, I don't know who's better. Not LeBron. Um, not uh, Luka. Not Durant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think those two guys are, are head and shoulders the best player. And, look, I like Embiid a lot. I don't think he's in the same league as what – I know he was the MVP this year. I still don't think he's in the same league as Joker and Giannis. And Joker easily could have got that for the third year. In a oh row, yeah, absolutely, without yeah. question. Well, again, he may get the NBA title, um, yeah. which is something that Embiid will be, never smell. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, you know, when when you not have, in Philly. Yeah, when when you have you know Ben Simmons and James Harden and you know that cast of characters. I mean, you talk about we talk about what the Hawks have. You talk about those vagabonds. <laughs> you talk about those mooks. You know, again, whew, man. I mean, those guys are just you know. I mean, you, you talk about they have, I mean, truly two guys that have a P for a Valentine, <laughs> a true P for a Valentine. That ticker doesn't beat very heavily. So, uh, again, um, I, I think I think Joker's the most unstoppable player. Um, he's maybe the biggest mismatch in the NBA. I don't, you know, he's probably, I, I, I still think him and Durant, I, I still think Durant is an exceptional offensive player. Because Durant can do whatever he wants. I mean, step out for the three, drive to the basket, hit them. I mean, Durant can do everything from an offensive player standpoint. Right. I think Durant is right there, but Joker's doing everything. I'd like, say just, all around. Yeah. Joker is. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's yeah. just he's on a different level right now. And and when those guys go twenty four for forty three, again, you're not going to beat them. When 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 both of those guys go off. You might be able to have one. We talked about this with Eric Reed, right? Mm-hmm. You might be able to have Joker go off and do his thing and score 30, 40 points. But if you're going to give Murray 34 to go along with it, you're not going to win. I'm sorry. I mean, you're just you're not going to win if that's the case. If he's going off as well, they just can't find a way to win. They had 64 of their 109 last night. Sixty No, 66 of their 109 last night. About about two thirds of two thirds of their points came from two guys. Poo, those. Yep. So we'll and see both ya. had triple doubles. Yeah, and look, Butler had a big game. Adebayo had a big game. Right, those guys combined for fifty points. Uh, uh, Adebayo was really good from the free throw line. He was eight of ten. Didn't shoot the ball well. Seven of twenty-one, and those guys were playing forty minutes because. You got to fight, scratch, and claw, man. They got to keep all their best offensive pieces on the floor. But um, look, 
we thought it was a series when Miami went out to Denver and won. Okay, well, Denver turned right back around, and now they won in Miami, right? So it's a series again. You know, we, we've we've had these moments where – and we said this, that the basketball aspect of this is going to be really good. Yeah. It, it's a matter of, you know, who's watching. You know, who wants to watch Miami in Denver? There are some people that wouldn't watch that series if it was played in their cul-de-sac, <laughs> right? I mean, you know – um, I like the series. I mean, I like yeah, I like I the two it. teams that are that are in this thing. But I, I can understand that there isn't necessarily the biggest national appeal for some of these teams, you know, in the marketplace. It doesn't feel like any kind of real rival, right? right. Not Boston and L.A. It's not even Cleveland and Golden State because we got to see that multiple times, right? right. I mean, it's not even that. Yeah. So anyway, all right. We'll talk to Steve Weiss uh, when we get back. Former Falcons beat reporter. For NFL Network now, check with Nikia Studios, Sports Radio 92 the Game, and the Odyssey.com app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Back at a Chuckery show, hanging out in the Kia studios on this Thursday evening with you. Uh, 404-726-0929. That is our new Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. So we've now got it synced up with our phone line. So 404-726-0929. That is the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line as well as our new phone line. Well, Falcons get ready for mandatory minicamp coming up here in uh, a little bit less than a week from right now. Let's head out to the waitford.com hotline. Let's talk to the former beat writer of the Atlanta Falcons and now the chief national reporter for NFL Network. Steve Weish is joining us. You can follow him on his personal Twitter page at Weish89. Steve, as always, buddy, appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, the time tonight. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Well, listen, you were dead on in your analysis of talking about Tyler Algier, and you nailed it before the season was even underway, talking about the role he would have and the impact that he would have. So, since you're the prognosticator now, is <laughs> is there – the, the obvious, I know, is, is Bijan. So, take him out of the mix, but 
Is there a rookie or a second-year guy that you've got your eyes on that you think is ready for that breakout season or is going to have an impact for this football team this year? Well, I mean, I could take the easy, the low-hanging fruit, and say Desmond Ritter um, because the pressure's on him. And they're, they're, they're putting – you know, they're, they're putting it on his shoulders. But, I mean, I think another player you got to look at is Arnold Epichetti. Um, I thought he showed some really nice flashes last year uh, as the edge rusher. They've got him a lot of help on the interior, right, going out and getting David on, on Yamada, getting Calais Campbell to go with Grady Jarrett. Um, I think he's a type of guy um, – with Ryan Nielsen now as the defensive coordinator who could really take a big step, right? Think of the defensive fronts that they had in New Orleans where Ryan Nielsen came from, with Cam Jordan, with Marcus Davenport, with Trey Hendrickson. And those defensive ends did a lot of work in the run and pass games. They were supported by great interiors like they've built there. So I'd look for AK-47 to step up. And, you know, Steve, I I completely agree. And I've talked a lot about Ebicady on my show. So let me ask you two questions. And I know hindsight is twenty twenty always, but should he have had a chance to start more last year? And the second part of the question is, do you think that he can consistently be an eight or ten sack guy in this league? Well, to say he, he should have started more is hard to tell. I mean, look, playing coming in as a rookie edge rusher, that's a hard thing to do, to come in and just, just really make an impact. That's why you don't see too many – regardless of how high they're drafted, young guys come in and dominate. Like the Boses were like the exception to the rule. It's a hard thing to do, um, especially when you're asked you know, in the system that they play where you've got to be really, really good against the run and be, you know, give somewhat of, of a rush presence. So I think they probably brought him along at the right points, and they, they had some veterans there. But now he's got a chance to step up. And, yeah, I think he does have an opportunity to be an 8 to 10 to 11 sack guy. I mean, he better be. You know, they haven't invested too much into, you know, to that, you know, that stud edge rusher who can necessarily win. But they've got some pieces in place. They're going to occupy the offensive line. It's going to occupy, you know, pass protection coverages, which could free him up to some one-on-one battles. So he's going to have an opportunity. Steve, I've said that the low-key best move that the Falcons made this year is bringing Jerry Gray in to help assistant coach. He'll work with Ryan Nielsen but he's also going to coach up that secondary. Talk to me yep. a little bit about Jerry Gray and the impact he can make on this football team. Stud, stud. I mean, a great man, right? I, I remember years ago when I covered the Falcons, they had Emmett Thomas, um, the Hall of Famer, coaching up the secondary when they had D'Angelo Hall and, you know, some really good, good players in that secondary. And that's the type of impact Jerry Gray can have, right? He's not the most outspoken dude, but he's seen everything. So, Here's a prime example of Jerry Gray. So I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, when he was with the Packers. Um, they had a COVID outbreak. D.C. can't come in the game. They're playing Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. Cardinals are kind of hot. Jerry Gray calls the defense and just stones them, just shuts them down. Right, That's right when the, when the Cardinals were rolling. I think they won five or six or seven right out of the gate. And he, he just knows what he's doing. He sees – like Ryan Nielsen, I spoke to Dennis Allen, the Saints coach, about him, right? He said very few defensive line coaches can see the world behind them, right? They only see the world along the line and in front of them. Jerry Gray sees the secondary in front of him and behind him. He's got a more global take on defense. And so those, those guys in the secondary will know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it and really work in conjunction with the guys on the other two levels. So 
I, I think you're going to see a lot more of an understanding of what they're doing with defensively, especially with so many of those young players that they've had back there, and also having an anchor, a free safety in Jesse Bates, who's, who's just a hell of a player. Chief national reporter for NFL Network, former Falcons beat writer Steve Weish, joining us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. So in looking at Desmond Ritter, do you realistically think, though, that he has to be a, a really good quarterback to make this team a playoff team? Or, and I, I don't like this term, and I don't, I don't know how else to phrase it, but can he be a, a game manager type of player with all of the offensive weapons that he has around him and then, obviously, if we think that this defense can be much improved, does he have to be great for this team to be a playoff team? Or can he be that sort of game manager? I don't like that term, but I don't know how else to, to phrase it. Well, I mean, look, he doesn't have to be great. When he said, does he have to be really good or does he have to be a game manager? I think they're one and the same, right? And when I say that is, he's got to be a guy who doesn't turn the ball over. And, you know, I don't care about the touchdown to interception ratio because his situation could be like, the Detroit Lions, where you could throw the ball over the field, you get close to the goal line, that's where you use your run game. And that's where they better use it, right? So the touchdown-interception ratio doesn't have to be extravagant, right? It doesn't have to be one of those 33 to 7. But it could be 21 and 9, right? Mm -hmm. Don't turn the ball over. Give your team an opportunity to put points on the board, even if they're field goals. Defensively, you know, it's all about defense and takeaways, right? You can give up yards, all this total defense numbers is all you know kind of trickery scoring defense and takeaways if this defense can get more takeaways to give the offense opportunities and to deny scoring chances for the opponent that's the big thing so i think desmond ritter i think he's got to be good i mean you're not you're not going to get to the playoffs and win playoff games if you're ordinary right you've got to be good but as good jimmy garoppolo right is is pretty good to really good Derek carr yeah i mean there's no reason why, with the way this team is built, he can't be that caliber of quarterback. So, you know, I think they feel they have that trust in him. They've got to be patient with him to a degree. But, you know, and I'll tell you this, Taylor Heineke will put pressure on him. Desmond's going to be the guy, and I'm not saying Taylor Heineke's going to start. But that dude's got enough swagger to make him feel like, okay, I've, I've got to be better at all times because this guy's here. And, and, you know, Steve, the thing I've talked about is – that I don't need Desmond Ritter to be great, but in the red zone, I think that's where this team has to get much better. They were, I think, 24th in Arthur's first year, 14th in touchdown efficiency last year. If they can be a great red zone offense with all the weapons that they have, they can run it, they can throw it, they can get Pitts and London and Jonu Smith. And I mean, they got so many guys that they can use down the red zone. That's where I think that Desmond Ritter and his ability to not turn the football over is going to shine for this team. No, that's what it has to be. I mean, look at Josh Allen with the Bills last year. As great as he was in the, in the red zone, he's a turnover. You know, he turned the ball over, and that, that hurt him. You know, he doesn't have to be a hero, and, and that's what being efficient in the red zone is. Don't be a hero. Get the ball to where it needs to be on time and let, let everything else fall in place. You know, and, and that's what Desmond Ritter has to be. And he's shown that. He showed it at Cincinnati. He, he showed it. I think it points last year. And the thing I like about Ritter is he's not afraid to drive the ball down the field. Something's there, he's going to drive the ball down the field. I don't think he's necessarily a gunslinger, but I also don't think he's got a guy who's risk, you know, who's risk averse either. I think he's going to try to make plays, but he's going to make sure not to force it, make it when it's there. 
chief national reporter for NFL Network, Steve Weiss, joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. So, look, you know as well as I do, and you've covered this team millions of times, I mean, the, the pass rush has always been that that big bugaboo. And we talked about Ebba Katie and can he be that breakout player, but do you think that with the things that they have done to this defense to improve this defense, do you think they can get to that 38-40 sack number that feels like that's that, that's that magical number when you talk about, you know, premier defenses and getting to the next level? Can they be that 38-40 sack type of team? So, you know, when you look at the teams that do that, and it sounds a little cliche, but they're good on first and second down and get those teams in third and six plus. Right. Right, like that's what that's what has to happen because then other teams have to pass. Right, you have to get a lead and force other teams to throw the ball more so than they're going to run the ball. That's you know that's what it all comes down to. We could sit here and project numbers because they have this type of personnel, or whatever, but it all comes down to what they do on first and second down. You know, again, it's 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 simple football, but you've got to make the opponent pass to give you opportunities to get to the quarterback. So. Look, based on the personnel and based on what they're trying to do and based on their increase of speed, especially at that second level with their inside guys, um, you know, I think Caden Ellis is going to be a nice little tool for them. Um, yeah, I mean, they have the opportunity. You might not have the 12, 13 sack, the Nick Bosa guy who's going to, you know, the Max Crosby guy, but they're going to have opportunities to do that if those guys up front in the on the first two levels deny teams from getting into, you know, second, second and, and, and five, you know, third and five, they've got to be, you know, no second and six plus third and six plus to make teams throw. Steve, I know that Calais Campbell is obviously here because one is he, he picked the Atlanta Falcons, but he is going to play and, and he's going to play a good bit and he may get to 60% of the snaps again, like he did last year when he was playing, but how important is he, do you think, behind the scenes, you know, off the field. I mean, you know, how big of a role can he play in that, you know, not just what he does on the field, but also the behind the scenes stuff. You know, it, it really depends. And I know Clay as well, you know, he'll, he'll feel his way out because, you know, the Falcons for two years, say what you want about, they have built a certain, and I hate the word culture, but they, they've built a certain something, right. An identity. Mm-hmm. And Calais is wise enough to know, okay, I'm an import. I'm not going to come in here and try and say, I've got to teach this young fellow this. I've got to, you know, exert my Walter Payton man of the yearness on everybody. So I think he'll start out by doing it with his play and he'll, he'll help the young guys out, right? He'll, he'll do what needs to be done. But, you know, I've seen guys who feel like they, you know, they're, they're new to the team and they've got to come in and, Hey, I'm this guy in the locker room and Hey, do it this way and do it that way. I, I don't think he's that guy because a lot of times that can go awry, especially if a guy isn't producing at a ridiculous level. Sometimes it works, but I, I just knowing Calais, I think he'll feel his way out. He is just an absolutely astute pro. Um, and he'll, he'll exert his presence when needed, but he's not going to be one of these omnipresent overlords who, who's going to insist that you do it his way because it's the best way. Last question for you, Steve. Um, Matthew Bergeron's going to get every opportunity to win that starting left guard job. And, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but, I mean, the last guy that we had that converted from tackle to, you know, interior left guard did not perform very well. Um, what do you think about Bergeron? Can he make that adjustment? And, you know, do you think that he can be successful there? We'll see. 
I mean, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate, you know, what's going to be asked of him, right? What, you know, is, is he going to be tough enough? I'll tell you this, when he gets in, in training camp, he's got a bang against Calais Campbell and bang against David Onyemata and, and bang against Grady Jarrett. You're going to find out. Yep. <laughs> you're going to find out exactly what he's about. Um, all signs look okay, but can't judge him right now um, other than on his college tape and what he looked like in, in shorts and a jersey. So, um, again, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what's asked of him. But if all indications, you know, for what they think, you know, what they think of him, you know, then he should be, he should be a pretty good player. He was drafted highly. And so they think he's probably – he's tough enough to do what's happening in the dirty work. But the one thing about the NFL these days – is a lot more smoke is coming up the interior from the defensive fronts than in the past. So he's going to get tested very quickly in training camp. Uh, you know, hopefully over the first few weeks, he'll grow to expect, you know, and understand what's going to be expected of him. Steve Weish is on Twitter at Weish89. He's the chief national reporter for NFL Network and join me here on the waitfor.com hotline. Steve, but as always, appreciate it, man. Thanks for a few minutes in Atlanta, as always, and we will certainly talk again to you soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. You got it. When we come back, is there any chance that the Falcons could end up with two 1,000-yard rushers? Hmm. 404-726-0929. 404-726-0929. We'll open up the phone lines and get your thoughts about this. Chuck, we're hanging out in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio 929 The Game, the app. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Back at a Chuckery show. Hanging out in the Key Studios Thursday night with you. All right, 404-726-0929. 404-726-0929. That's both our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line now. So we've converted it over. So get rid of the old number, 726-0929. That's also our phone line. We're asking you the question, any chance that the Falcons could end up with two 1,000-yard rushers this year? You know, Day-Day, the Falcons were the first team in NFC history to have two 1,000-yard rushers. It had been done three times before. So the first time was Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, that might have been like 72, the Super Bowl year, whatever like that. Franco Harris and Rocky Blyer had done it uh, as well. I think 77 or 78, somewhere around in that range. Um, Ernest Biner and uh, Kevin Mack were the uh, duo uh, for the Cleveland Browns when they got to the AFC title game. Uh, they had done it. But the Falcons in 2006, and it's only been done by two other NFC teams. Uh, they were the first team in NFC history to have 2,000-yard runners. Now, again, Michael Vick, the quarterback, was right. one, but Warwick Dunn was the other. Right. But if you look at what this offense wants to do, and uh, – Again, I'm not trying to put the phenoinks on Desmond Ritter, but let's just say that he's not an all-pro caliber player, okay? And they're still going to lean heavily on their run game. Now, I need Desmond Ritter to be a pro when it comes to red zone offense, 
I don't necessarily need him to be a pro in other places. Could Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson be 1,000-yard rushers, which would give, by the way, the distinction of the Atlanta Falcons would be the first franchise in NFL history to have 2,000-yard runners, you know, in two different seasons. Every, the, I think the Panthers have had it once. The Giants had it once with, um, oh, gosh, uh, was it Ron Dane and Tiki Barber? I think they had it once. And the last time it was done was 2019 when Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson both ran for over 1,000 yards. So 404-726-0929. Could those two guys end up as 1,000-yard rushers? Look, I do think that they're going to get every opportunity. And if you look at now, if you factor in even the Avery Williams injury where he's going to be out for the year, if they're going to ask Cordero Patterson to return kicks, return punts, be more involved in the passing game, then there might be more opportunity for rushing attempts for the two running backs. And I certainly don't think that Desmond Ritter is going to carry it even as often as what Marcus Mariota did last year. You know, they were willing to feature Marcus Mariota heavily in the run game. Why? Yeah, because he's a good runner, for one. But two is, you don't want him throwing the football. That's why they were one of the least pass attempt teams in the NFL, right? You don't want him throwing the football very often because you saw what happened when he throws the football. He starts hucking it around, throwing interceptions, bumbling his way through, missing guys that are wide open down for all of that stuff. So I don't want him throwing. So I do think that there are going to be more attempts for the running backs, and I do think that they are still going to be a run-heavy team. I don't think you're going to ask Desmond Ritter in his first full year of starting to huck it around five or 600 times. Now, again, they get down in the red zone with Pitts and John U. Smith and London and Patterson. Yeah, they may be a combination of run and throw when they get down deep to catch teams off balance. But I don't think that they're going to allow Desmond. Do I think they're going to throw it more than they did last year? Yes. Yes, I do think that. I, I, I think that they are still going to be a run-first team but they still throw it more than what they did last year. And with that, because they're not going to have five, 600 pass attempts or whatever, I still think that they are going to be run heavy, and I think they're going to lean on their two young running backs to carry the bulk of that load. I don't think Patterson's going to get that many opportunities at running back. I think he's going to be used more as a slot receiver. And again, now that Avery Williams is down, could we see him in more of a special teams type of role? 404-726-0929. Steve out in South Fulton. What's going on, Steve? Hey, Chuckery, how you doing today, man? Good, buddy. How's it going, man? Good, good. But yeah, no, I, I do think that, you know, there could be 2,000-yard rushers. I think that, you know, well, I know that last year the Falcons were the number one running team by a pretty wide margin, so they could increase their pass percent, you know, their, their past attempts and still, you know, get that, get that accomplished. I, I, the reason why I believe is because I really think B. John Robinson is going to be like that chain mover guy, right? 
the one if it's third and five he'll get you six and I think that they just going to create a lot of matchup problems so they're, they'll be in hopefully like third and four third and three type of situations and then you got guys like John Duke, Kyle Pitts, Drake London you got five or six guys I think that can probably get you four or five yards in a pinch. I appreciate the phone call. Yeah I mean look I, I, I think that they're going to be smart about how they pass the football. Like, they're not going to get, you know, that's the other thing about this. They're not going to get themselves into, you know, third and 13 types of situations because they're dropping back and throwing passes on first down and they are getting themselves in long-distance areas. Now, I will correct you on one thing. Falcons finished third in the NFL in rushing attempts. They finished two yards behind the Ravens for second place. The Bears, because of Justin Field, um, they led the NFL in rushing. In fact, 3,014 yards. That's one of the few times in NFL history that a team has run for 3,000 yards. 2,720 for the Ravens, 2,718 for the Falcons. So they missed out by three yards, being the second most prolific run team in the NFL. But again, they are a very heavy run team. But I don't think they're going to put the ball in harm's way with Desmond Ritter. And when you can lean on this offensive line, because let's face it, we still don't have an idea of how good of a pass-blocking line that we are. I feel good about Jake. I feel good about Chris Lindstrom. I don't know what Matthew Bergeron is. I don't necessarily completely trust Drew Dahlman in pass-blocking. And until I see more of Caleb McGarry being able to pass-block, I'm still going to have my doubts and reservations. So what they do is they go north, you know, head north, young man. They do that really well. Line up and push you around. And that's the strength of their football team. We, we can talk about all the different things they can do, you know, and all the different players that they have. The strength of this football team is their offensive line. It was a top five offensive line, maybe the best run offensive line in the NFL last year, but they are a top five offensive line because part of it is they don't put themselves in harm's way. They don't get into obvious throwing downs. They don't, you know, trick you and do different. They line up and they push you around. And they keep it short where it's third and four, third and three, versus it's third and 15, right? And you get yourself into obvious passing downs. So I don't think the Falcons are going to do that and and have a second-year quarterback that's going to play like that. But it will be interesting because, you know, one of the things about Tyler Algier is he had a really good yards per attempt average last year, 4.9 yards per attempt. You know, if if these guys can get themselves to where, and that's, you know, a, uh, oh, yikes. Now it's 5-3. to three. Was that a grand slam? Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. 5-3 oh. to three now, Mets. Wow. Grand salami. Ay, yeah, yeah. That wasn't a uh, that wasn't exactly a good pitch from uh, Spencer Strider. So um, more about that here in uh, in just a second. Um, Nimmo hit that right, wasn't that Nimmo that hit that? Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, all right, five to three now. Uh, so we've had less than t- we, we so far the two pitchers have combined for two and two thirds innings, nine hits and eight runs. With Verlander and Strider. Maybe two of the best strikeout guys in Major League Baseball. But anyway, uh, back to the Falcons. But, no, I I definitely think it's a possibility, and I definitely think that it's something that could happen with the philosophy. Now, look, I do expect 
Bijan Robinson to be a guy that catches a lot of balls out of the backfield. But again, if you look at Tyler Algiers' yards per attempt number, they were 4.9. You know, if this can be a four and a half to five yards per carry type of offense, I mean, you can certainly see these guys churning up some yards. Tyler Algiers is not necessarily that breakaway kind of player, but Bijan Robinson can be that heavy home run threat to it. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, again, I think it's a definite possibility for this team. All right, uh, Braves, like we said, uh, they are down 5-3 to three now. So they got out to a 3 nothing lead, right? Austin Riley hits a two-run homer. Um, who, was the, who was the outfielder? Was it Marte? Marte tried to come I, up. I didn't get to. Oh, the, it, I didn't. Was, was it the I right fielder? I think that was, that was uh, yeah, that was, was that right field or center field? I, but whoever it was, they tried to come up and gun down Darno, yeah, and, yeah. and that went bad. Yeah, and it got underneath his glove and rolled to the wall, and, and another run um, scored. So the Braves were up 3 to nothing. And now the Mets have given them a taste of their own medicine where the Braves have come back from behind the last couple of nights where they were down 4-1 to one and, and won that game. Mets come in and score five. So, again, here's – how about this pitching line? Combined for Strider and Verlander, three innings, nine hits, uh, seven earned runs, no walks, and six strikeouts. Pretty wild, huh? I mean, Strider's got five of his six outs via the strikeout. Um, Verlander's got one of his three outs via the strikeout. Both guys have given up a home run. Verlander had 25 pitches in the first inning. Strider's got 39 through two innings. So maybe what we thought was going to be a really good pitching matchup between these two clubs is maybe not shaping up to be that uh, kind of way. So anyway. Uh, we'll keep you up to date all night long about what goes on with the Braves as they look to sweep out the mutts. And, uh, you know, again, long way to go in uh, in this thing. We're, all, we're literally only through um, the top of the second inning, right? So we've only played an inning and a half in this game. So, uh, again, we'll see if the Braves' bats can get some things cranked up and in, uh, in going. So um, Riley and Ronnie have scored the, uh, the two runs. Sorry, two of the three runs. Darno has the other run. We talked about uh, the – outfielder coming up trying to throw him out and uh, put the ball right underneath his glove. So, anyway, we'll keep you up to date all night long about the, what goes on. All right, when we come back from the top of the hour, we'll be time for the Falcons flyover. We'll look at the next list from Pro Football Focus, top running backs in the NFL. Chuck me in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 99 The Game, the Odyssey.com app. 